Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you will rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. And uh, we're blessed today to have uh, Associate Rabbi David Katz bring us the message. Let's pause for a minute and um, just ask the Lord to give us eyes and ears. Thank you, Lord God, for this um, straightforward but profound teaching of your word. And uh, we pray, Lord, for the anointing for Rabbi David. And uh, we pray, Lord God, that what comes from his mouth, Lord God, would be your word to us, Lord. And um, as Samuel said, Lord, speak because your servants hear. And that's our desire, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today, Lord, and hearts that are soft to take your word by faith and apply it to our life. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, good. So uh, it's funny, you spend, a, you spend time a week or more sometimes looking at a scripture and then you hear it read and you think, I really need to get up and... I mean, did you really not catch that, what was in there? And it just seems so, so clear. But uh, we'll take some time going through some of the, what this psalm is, is hopefully conveying to us today and, and uh, maybe remove some, um, I don't want to say myths, but some statements that I think are, that we often make or we would probably agree with that are on pretty shaky ground. I was thinking actually about a couple of them this morning, um, and they probably came to mind just because I was really thinking them for real. And those statements were things like, you know, uh, if it's going to be, it's up to me, you know. And um, do you mind turning this down a little bit? I know I, I, it's just always weird. I've, I've heard myself enough. <laughs> um, things like um, if you want it done right, you got to, yeah. No one's wondering what that was. These are things that are kind of ingrained in us that, we say, we might think, and we actually might really feel them at times, right? I mean, sometimes it really does feel that way, that if you want something done right, and the reality of that statement is probably if you want it done the way you want it and your personal preference, then you do it yourself. It has nothing to do with, want, with getting it done right. And I think that's the reality of, of most of those statements. They really have nothing to do with the effectiveness of how things get done or if they get done. And again, uh, I believe that's what this, this psalm is telling us Today and so, I want to go. Th- just want to take the, 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 some time here to go through it. Go through it together. And this this psalm is uh, in a section of psalms that in, in your Bible it probably says Psalm of Ascent of Solomon to Solomon for Solomon. If you've got the CJB, it probably says Shlomo because that's the name Solomon in Hebrew, and that's what it says. It says uh, uh, Shlomo. 
Um, but it's in this section of what are called Psalms of Ascent or of the going up. That's what it literally is, the going up. We talk about going up. Where do we go up in Israel? Chaim's mentioned many times. Jerusalem. Geographically, we're going up. So these are psalms that uh, are part of liturgy, that are sung, that we're, we're saying, and the idea is that this is um, a time of preparation as you're going up to worship the Lord uh, in, uh, in, in some respect, actually ascending the temple steps. So it's a time of preparation, uh, a time of actual physical movement towards the Lord, towards the presence of the Lord, um, and also a time of, of spiritual movement at these times when, when we're called to go to Jerusalem. And I think sometimes we're a little bit, at least I am, I'm going to speak for myself, a little removed from this because I don't make pilgrimages to Jerusalem like this. And, I mean, Muslims go to Mecca, and some people, you know, if you're living in the land or something. But we, I don't think every day, you know, we talk about going into our prayer closet or whatever it might be, or spending time with the Lord. That's, I think, and, and then our Moadim is about as close as we get. We don't have this time where we're physically taking time to walk along where we could sing, you know, uh, nine or, you know, we got, this is actually more than that, there's 15 uh, Psalm 120 to 134, all of these psalms of ascent. So we don't have those times in our life where we are physically moving towards the Lord. Maybe we're driving to work, or maybe we're doing something else where we take a few minutes and we think maybe we're preparing to enter the presence of the Lord, and we do it for some time here on Shabbat, but it's different. So I think sometimes that idea of this psalm of ascent and this physical moving towards the Lord and this spiritual progression towards the Lord that maybe gets lost on us. And this psalm is kind of interesting. When you look at those, those psalms, 120 to 134, a couple of things I want to point out about them, and not to make a huge deal about them, but just something for you, as Chaim would say, to put in your pipe and smoke a little bit. Um, and this is figurative when we, when we do that. We don't really do that, but we, we figuratively talk about that. Um, is that you got these 14 psalms. This is 127, which is right in the middle. You got seven before, you got seven after. Kind of interesting. This idea as we're moving toward this progression of the Lord. This is, you know, again, I don't want to make too big a deal about it, but I think it is kind of central. When I look, think of the message that's in here, this is a very central uh, message, I believe, as far as moving into the presence of God. What it means, because to get, to get in the presence of the Lord, to understand who he is and what he does. And this is central, so it's, and it's, and it's located centrally. And uh, it's the only one that's attributed to Shlomo, and it's, you know, we can debate as to whether it's... Uh, about uh, Solomon, for Solomon, of Solomon. But the one thing that's not debatable, it's the only one that's attributed such. And I only bring that up because uh, often, and I don't know if it's in my Bible, it was in my other Bible, but, you know, you, if you have a little, yeah, it is in this one too. You know, if you have a Bible that has a, a song or a, uh, a, a scent of Solomon or something like that, it's probably just a little tiny text. And you say, let me, let me, let me get, now let me get to the psalm. You know, but those are there for these. That's the word also. This is not the like the NIV or whomever put, you know, the title of a section. That's not in there. But that word, the ascent, you know, uh, the Psalm of Ascent of Solomon or to Solomon, or four, is actually there. So it's kind of cool when we think of Solomon. You know, at least me, I think of oh, he built the temple. Uh, his name itself means peace. You know, and, and wholeness. So just some kind of thoughts to lay the foundation of where we are in this section of Psalms. This idea of, of going into the, going to the temple, you know, and 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 so forth. So that's kind of where we, we find this. And again, I hope that this um, 
the, the sort of truth that I believe is in this psalm today also um, becomes the center in regards to our, our own personal spiritual growth. You may, when Katrina was reading this, uh, there were th- there's actually two words that are in this, this is not many verses, but two words that are in this psalm that are repeated three times. And often, that's at least something we should look at when something is repeated multiple times in Scripture. And the, the, the two words that stood out to me that were repeated, one of them is the, the, the sacred name of the Lord. Well, she said Adonai or Hashem, however you want to say it, the yod Hey, vav Hey, the four-letter name of God is in there. Three times, which I think that is the focus of this psalm, the focus of the Psalms of Ascent, the focus of getting into the presence of the Lord. That's what we're doing. So that's a very key thing. The other word, um, in Probably most everyone has the same word in their Bible. It says vain. Does anyone have anything different than vain? It is vain, labors, labor in vain. Anyone have anything different than vain? When it talks at the beginning, unless the, unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it labor in. Anyone have anything different? Unless the, the guard guards the city, the watchman watches in. No one has anything different. And that's fine. That word vain, there's a couple words in Scripture for vain, and one of them is used here. And it's the same one used all three times. And and that's kind of the first place I wanted to start at, because I think that's very key to what what this psalm is telling us. And and vain, you know, that word vain in English, we have different ideas of what that word vain means. You know, it could be, you know, spending time preparing how you look to make sure you look a proper way, and somebody sees you, you know, twirling the ends of your mustache to make just the perfect, you know, and oh, you're so vain, you know, that kind of thing. Or, uh, there's those kind of ideas. This, this vein here, it's, it's, a, it's a great word because it's pretty powerful when you think about it. It's more than just a wanting to look good, especially in this sense. Um, it's this idea of, <clears throat> of being hopeless or helpless or worthless. And uh, there's many places, when you look this word up, if you have time to look other places where this word vain is, I mean, there's, there's talk about lifting up the name of the Lord in vain. That's a little different idea, but that's pretty powerful. The same word, but completely really a different idea and a very powerful idea. Um, but in the same sense that this word is used, we see, for instance, I, I took just one example in Psalm 60, verse 11, and we, won't, we don't need to go there. But there's a real good sort of uh, comparison between you know, or to sh- I think a comparison that demonstrates what this idea of vain is, and it's this idea of helplessness. Helplessness with regard to human versus godly effort. And in Psalm 60, it basically talks about, you know, human aid is completely helpless, hopeless, with re- when you compare it to the help of the Lord. And so I, I like that idea, or like that, uh, that understanding um, of helpless, worthlessness. Uh, I also like a definition I came across uh, when looking up this word and kind of studying a little bit, little bit about it is the idea of um, it being deceptive, something that's vain. It's deceptive, meaning you think you got one thing, but you really don't, or you got something else. And, it, and very practically speaking, when, when, when we talk about doing something in vain, which is what this psalm is talking about, laboring in vain, watching in vain, building in vain. Practically speaking in our lives, if I said, oh man, I did that all in vain, it's a letdown. It's a very big letdown when you do something in vain. So I don't want to have a huge letdown when you're laboring and such, you know. Um, when I was younger, growing up in my parents' house, we had, we had some pets. We didn't have a lot of pets, but 
I did have, you know, I had, uh, we started off, you know, we started off with fish. Everyone starts off with fish, you know, because there's not much. The only negative with fish is they're going to die quickly, and you've got to deal with all that with kids. But, so we had fish. I uh, had hermit crabs, you know. That was great. They stay in a cage, very low maintenance. My sister had a salamander, very cool, you know. Uh, I used to hunt the house for flies, and I'd get a fly. I'd stun, stun the fly, and I'd throw it in there and watch the thing come up like jaws and get it, you know. So, so that was a lot of fun. And we had hamster, and we had a cat. Now, none of these animals are living anymore. Um, one of the fish actually did live for like 20 years. It was crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. My dad, like we were off in college, and my dad had this one disgusting fish tank with one little sucker fish, you know, that was still there. The thing was Emmett, now that I remember. Anyways, he was there forever. I mean, the thing was there. It was literally about 20 years. I, maybe that's normal. I don't know. But uh, it was, see, you get me up. Okay. But anyways, my point was those, those animals would always eventually pass. And we lived in a suburb of, uh, of Maryland, and, you know, what would happen is when the fish, you know, my wife, she thinks, she's not here, so it's good. She thinks it's silly to have, like, burials. I mean, she's a, you know, animal in the trash person or flush it in the toilet kind of thing. <laughs> but, you know, but we had burials. And my sister's a musician. She plays the French horn, and back then she played, she played brass instruments, and she'd have the da-da-da, da-da-da. And we'd, we'd dug a hole, and we buried the, the, the animal, you know? Um, well, I, w- I actually heard a story I want to relate to you that this is, you know, something that maybe still could go on in a place like this, but when you, when you look at, like, a city, like New York City, okay, uh, stats uh, I read say there's about 2 million pets in New York City. And, I mean, it's, probably, it's a lot of people. I think I don't know how many are in Denver. I don't know that there's, maybe there's is there 2 million? No, no. So 2 million pets. It was like 1.7. I rounded up. So <laughs> 1.7 million. A lot of pets. And a lot of apartment dwellers, they don't quite have the, the liberty and the ability to go and bury a pet in their backyard. And it's a real issue. There's forms to fill out online for the city to come and dispose of your pet and so forth. And and uh, I, I heard this story about a woman who, th- there's a cost to this. It was like, I think, 60 or maybe as much as $80 to have the city dispose of your, your dog when it passes or, you know, whatever. This woman had this idea. She, she wanted to kind of get in on that action. And so she put, took an ad out for like $25, $30. She would dispose of your pet. So about half of what the city was going to do. And uh, what she did is she would go around uh, to like thrift stores garage sales, places where she could just pick up really inexpensive, like an old briefcase or a suitcase, um, backpack, some kind of bag for like 50 cents or a dollar or two, something like that. And then she would go and pick up these pets. she put them in the bag, in the suitcase, and then she would, you know, they'd pay her the money. They'd be happy. they save money. She's got this pet in her, her dollar suitcase. And then she'd go ride the subway in New York. Now, maybe some of you guys have an idea where this is going. <laughs> and she'd sit on the subway and set her bag down next to her, you know, not too close next to her, just kind of just there, you know, and just ride the train until inevitably some opportunistic individual, let's call them a criminal, <laughs> would see the bag and grab it. And off they went, and she'd, oh, help, please, stop, thief, thief, thief. Really, you know, and that's how she disposed of the animals. (laughs) 
And you can only imagine the surprise and the shock and the letdown when that person found what they had grabbed. And that really, you know, I think is the picture here. What is it that you opportunistic people (laughs) and me are chasing after and grabbing, thinking we really got something and we're really doing something. And if it's up to be, it's going to be, it's up to me. And if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. And you're grabbing after that thing and running off with it. And I think the word here is telling us the reality is we're probably going to find something. Maybe we're, we, we wasn't what we thought it was going to be. It's in vain. It's a little bit of a letdown. And it's a little bit deceptive. And again, the word here tells us that unless God is doing the building, you know, it's, that's what it's about. And it's not about, I titled this message today, I could have titled it several things, but I think I titled it, you know, it's, it, what does it say? If you're, are you working with God or is God working, right? And I think that's the key here, that it's not about that we need to work along with God. And we'll get into, into that. Um, because this, this message is, you know, very deliberately trying to get a point across. Um, but the reality is it's really not about working with God. It's about working, or about God's working, okay? I don't know about you, I often have that prayer, you know, oh, Lord, please bless my efforts, crown my efforts with glory, crown my efforts with success, you know, and it sounds really good, and we think maybe that's in the Bible somewhere, and maybe there's something that we can kind of make that sort of sound like that's in the Bible, or, or that idea's in there. But the truth is that we don't really want God to crown our efforts with glory. We certainly work along along with God in a sense, but I'm going to kind of focus more on this idea. We need to look at how God is working and allow God to work uh, and, and do the work. And just to be clear, the text here doesn't say that the house is bad or that it shouldn't be built or that keeping watch is a bad thing uh, or that it shouldn't be done. The point is not that success or lack thereof is the result of how we... It's not that, that's not the point. It's, it's that any of those things are the result of how much we recognize the presence and power of God and how he's working. Because the reality is the true blessings only come when the Lord works. Okay? So as you move on a bit in, in this passage, let me turn to it here in verse 2. Again, there's that talk of that vanity. And that, that's, that's sort of the very big thing at the beginning. And here also in verse 2, it talks about um, anxious toil. You know, and maybe some of you can relate to that, this idea of, you know, that's really, I think, the, the heart of, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And if I just work hard enough and if I do enough stuff, you know, I can get things done. And, and anxious toil is, uh, what he's saying is, you know what, um, that's not where it is either. And this really struck home with me. I, I'll tell you a story, another story, uh, hopefully not as uh, graphic as the uh, first one. But um, when I first started seminary, I was back in Maryland. I, I went to seminary. Tw- I went to started taking classes. I took two classes uh, a week at night, two three-hour classes. So I would go to work during the day, and then I'd come home. And around six o'clock, six to nine, I would go to class. And graduate school for me was very different than undergraduate. Undergraduate, I mean, I wasn't paying for it. Uh, I was living in you know, in, in, along with a lot of other students on campus, and it was, you know, could have fooled me. It was college, you know. Uh, 
And I slept through classes. I can't even believe. I, I mean, I literally would sleep through. And I'm not talking like 7 a.m. classes. I'm talking about like 11 a.m. classes that I would sleep through. I missed a lot of classes. Uh, but it wasn't like this in undergrad. I, would, I mean, I would come home from work or sometimes I'd go straight to work. But usually I'd come home really quick, you know, between 5 and 6, and I'd get in the car and I'd shoom, go over to class and try to stake out my territory, which was, for me, uh, you know, here. Front row center. That's where I would be sitting. I didn't, want to, didn't know who was in the class, didn't want to know who was in the class with me. I was just to, focused on the teacher. Um, and I would go stake out my territory early. So this was one of those early on in the semester I didn't quite maybe have, I wasn't convinced that I had my territory staked out quite yet. And so I'm running over to the seminary, driving over fast. And I read somewhere, you know, you, if you want to look important, you walk about 10% faster than normal, you know, and people don't bother you because I don't want to be, I got to get to my seat. So don't, just, you, you know I'm going somewhere, right? Don't, don't talk to me. So I park. And, and I went to school with, this, with one guy. Uh, I did see one of the people in the class. His name was, uh, he was a Jamaican guy. His name was Errol. And he wasn't like Jamaican-American. Like, he was Jamaican. Like, he was from Jamaica. He was an international student. And it was about this time of the year, you know, 50 degrees out in Maryland. And, oh, poor guy was suffering. I mean, he was so cold and had no idea the winter was coming. He thought that was the winter, you know. And, and poor Errol was suffering. But Errol was Jamaican, thoroughly. Anyone ever been to the Caribbean or any island like this? You know, they're laid back. Yeah. I mean, they are laid back. You know, they got this, no problem, no problem, and nothing, no problem. And Errol, Errol, was, this, Errol was this guy. And I come, I come into the seminary. I'm busting through the seminary, you know, and I, I'm thinking about my spot. I got to get, because it's seven minutes till, and class starts at the top of the hour. And God forbid I didn't get there, you know, seven minutes ahead of time. And I come busting through the door, and Errol's on the other side just, you know, strolling out to the bathroom, you know. And I come busting through the door, and he's just, just about knocking him over, and he puts his hand up kind of like on my chest, and he's like, hey, man, slow down. <laughs> this was five years ago. I remember this. And it stuck with me, and I wish I could say that I have slowed down completely. But it was very, it was very sort of uh, sobering because that's the real. I was just so anxiously toiling, and I had to, if I, if I was going to learn, I had to be right there, and if I didn't get there on time, everything would be messed up. But the reality was, you know what? Hey, Ma, slow down, you know? And uh, that's, that stuck with me. But that's the opposite of, of anxious toil. And uh, Yeshua, you know, the Messiah says in Matthew 6, he kind of talks about this, You've probably heard this verse before, and I'm reading sort of parts of these verses. But in Matthew 6, Yeshua is talking about um, this idea. He says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He says, but strive first for anxious toil. No, he doesn't say that. He says, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So the truth here is that God gives rest. Because after that it says, you know, anxious toil. You know, God gives rest. Otherwise, if he doesn't, it's empty, it's futile, worthless. Because true blessings only come when the Lord does the work, right? And this, this is a tough one. We talk about rest, and I want to get into this here in just a minute. Rest is an interesting thing. It's this interesting concept. Certainly, scripturally, we look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, it talks about entering into the rest of the Lord. And that's what we're doing today. We're entering into God's rest, His Sabbath rest. And we're talking about 
entering in, the psalm of ascent, entering into the presence of the Lord, not to work, but to rest in Him. And, and uh, there's scriptures that talk about this, and Hebrews is one of them. In the fourth chapter, it talks about entering into the rest of the Lord. And it doesn't, doesn't give the picture of like an exhausted marathon runner that just comes in and claps. It's talking about some work. It says to toil to enter into that rest. And that's a bit, I think that's a bit hard. For, you know, I'm here on the one hand, is he saying you know, to let God do the work and not do the work? Is he saying to, to rest or to work to enter the rest? In the words of Chaim, I'll say yes. <laughs> yes. There is a work to be entered into, but the reality, again, we need to look at the God of that work and what it means to, to enter into the rest. And some of your translations actually might be a little bit different here when it talks about sleep. You probably have something that uh, in, in their sleep God provides for him or um, God, God provides sleep for his beloved. And, and literally, word, you know, wording-wise, it does say that he gives to his beloved sleep. And that's a very precious thing. And to me, you know, we're talking about building a house, right? And we're talking about guarding a city, big things. But, I mean, sleep? Really? You know, you'd think if there's anything easier to do, it'd be sleep. But I know that's not true. I talked to my friend Jeff here earlier. I didn't sleep well last night. Lee talked about not sleeping well last night, right? And I can relate to what you said, by the way. I've got individuals that take about eight-eighths of the bed. And we sometimes have that faint smell that goes on sometimes <laughs> that you were talking about. So I, I know what you're talking about. But even sleep, I mean, isn't there something that we can just sort of take care of in our life and have God not, not be involved with? The reality is, no, not even sleep. Um, one of, a particular entertainer I liked when I was growing up and even through adulthood, and don't throw stones, maybe you won't, but uh, I was a Michael Jackson fan. Jackson 5, the whole thing. I, I enjoyed them. And see, look at this. It's like, judge, judge. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I enjoyed him as a kid and, and everything. And, and you know, and I, w- I remember that he passed, when he passed away, it was, it was, it was tr- tragic. I mean, it was tragic. And I didn't get into all the details. And there's, there's court cases going on now. And maybe there was something decided even recently. But there was one thing I remember from kind of reading the articles about this is that, and if you're not familiar, you know, he, he died from, from drugs uh, that were administered to him to help him sleep. And I remember reading a quote that, that someone who knew him well and kind of knew his scenario well talked about that he was always chasing that, that elusive rest. He was always chasing it. And so he had a, I mean, a personal physician that he could have administered to him what he wanted, and I think he pressured the guy. And you know, We can talk about that. But the point is, no matter how it happened, he was chasing sleep. And I think it's important for us to, to, to even recognize that even in our rest, that God gives it to us. Um, seems to be one of the easiest things, but this idea of, of toiling anxiously. And, you know, you work hard sometimes because you've got to do something tomorrow, and we're guilty of it at home. You know, the kids got to get up for school in the morning, and let's hurry up, and let's all get to bed, you know, and let's do this, let's do that, and get to sleep. And then we go to bed. Because you know? <laughs> we're thinking about tomorrow, you know. These, all these ideas are interrelated, but the reality is that God is the one that gives the rest. And true blessings only come when he does the work, even when that work is simply giving us, to, giving us rest. And the rest of the psalm is interesting. I, I, I don't say I struggle with it, but sometimes I don't, I've read this, I, when I read this psalm, I, I get that first part and I wonder, how in the world does the second part you know, tie in? 
we just talked about rest and we talked about, you know, building and God, you know, don't, not doing things in vanity. And then all of a sudden we talk about kids and arrows and, and being, you know, not ashamed in the gate and so forth. Um, but I see a connection uh, really with this idea of God's provision and God, God himself doing the work. Um, I mean, it's kind of like one of these from the lesser to the greater kind of arguments, you know, if, if you got this little bit, how much more this and so forth. But, you know, you can try to build a house and and you could you could end up with something you could uh you could try to take care of your stuff this idea of guarding you know guarding and protecting um and you could at least put yourself in a position to do that um and you could try to go to sleep and you could try to work hard and you could be in your bed and maybe laying there with your eyes open um but when it comes to children um to me, that's such a, you know, even, even like rest, that's such a basic and life-sustaining thing, perpetuation of, 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 the, of, the, of the human race. Um, but that, I mean, when I look at all of these things, more than any of them, that's, that's God's work. There's nothing we can do to, to, uh, to have children. They're certainly, um, and, and the text tells us, they are a heritage, an inheritance, something that's given to us just like all these other things. So again, I see this just as another thing that God is giving um, and that they are the Lord's and there's nothing we can do to acquire them. And just to be clear, um, this doesn't mean that the, uh, the childless or those with no sons, for instance, are not blessed and don't have the Lord in their life. I don't think that's what this is talking about. Um, I think, again, the point is that happiness and blessing is not in the stuff we get or in the results that we see, but in the God of that stuff and in the God of those results. Um, that's the thrust of the psalm. I think, again, the idea, I, wanna, I want us to think about this idea of, of entering and ascending into his presence. This is the type of life that, that I believe the people who are, who are ascending, who are, who are stepping into the presence of the Lord physically and spiritually. This is the kind of life we're after. And to effectively do that, it's not easy. I can sit here and say that, and we can all nod in agreement. We can think how silly it is, and we can think of the example of grabbing this dead animal in a bag, and, oh, yeah, that's what I'm striving after. And we can think about, hey, man, slow down, you know, and we can, and it's all true. But this is not a once-and-done kind of a deal. Um, the process, uh, this idea of, of stepping into into spiritual growth and to growing closer in this respect, it's a, it is a process. And we don't just do it once, whereas the, the pilgrims here, you know, pil- pilgrimage, making a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem or walking into the temple was not an everyday thing. For us, it is and it can be. And it needs to be. Um, it is a process. It is a process. And I want to encourage you to, to, to take part in. And, and I'll, I'll get into that here in a minute, maybe what we can do. But a very key part of that process, which is the step one, which is what I wanted to get into today, um, we might get into a little bit of it next week with a different psalm. But the first part of that process is simply, like, like I mentioned, it's a simple message, but it's recognizing um, who God is and what he does and who we are and what we do, can do, should do, should not do. But it's recognizing who God is and what he does. And I've talked about the, the futility of not of not recognizing the Lord's work in your life. When we go about and we ignore uh, maybe what God is doing, thinking that if it's going to be, it's up to me, and um, 
you know, if you want it done right, do it yourself. And we've got to toil, toil, toil. Um, and we've talked about the reality that really it's God that does the work and that the blessings really only come when he works, when he does the work. And as this psalm is positionally in the center of these, of these uh, ascent psalms, keep in mind that they were sung with joy as people were moving physically into the presence of God and, and spiritually. So this is not a, a condemning, you know, yeah, I've been trying too hard, I've been striving too hard. And again, because, you know, we're talking about there, we're talking about you. It's not about you. Um, the idea is that this needs to be a joyous progression as we're moving into God's presence. You read these whole things. Actually, I read these all this morning, 120 through 134. They're not really that long. Um, because they're all they're rel- some relatively short, short psalms in there. Um, but it's kind of neat when you read them. I mean, these things are really focusing you on on moving on moving uh, into the presence of God and to, into to preparing yourself to worship Him and who He is, and as He is the the one that does the work. And again, I think that's that's just critical to our to our spiritual growth. Critical and central should be a central theme of our spiritual growth. So. Um, as we take just the next few minutes here, we're going to do a little bit of worship and then we'll, we'll conclude our service. But in, in that time in between, I'd like you to, either where you are or come up for, for prayer, think about um, and evaluate maybe some things that, that you haven't been giving God credit for in your life. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe something as simple as that. Think about areas that you've been, you know, trying to, grasp with your soul power and your might. And even if it's for today, recognizing that this is just a process, you know, think about something that you have failed to involve God in and something that you would like to, again, not ask him to come in and, you know, crown your efforts with glory, not take what you're doing already and, as Chaim says, sort of sprinkle a little magic, you know, God dust on it, but that you can say, God, this is your domain completely, and I don't want to be the one, I don't want to be grabbing at that suitcase uh, thinking I'm going for one thing when really it's a letdown. So think about something that you might be able to ask God to, to for, forgive you of, but also to, to, um, to resume control of maybe in your life. And just recognize, again, that the true blessings really only come when, when the Lord does the work. Amen? Amen. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll have our time of, of worship and you can, you can spend some time talking to the Lord. Avinu, Malkenu, our Father, our King. We thank you so much for the opportunity today to come into your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to do that on a regular basis, Lord, even in those when we uh, continually ignore you in our lives. Lord, I ask that uh, you would uh, bring to mind, bring to the minds and hearts of those who are here today right now, those things that maybe in their life they are they are uh, neglecting in terms of recognizing you as the source and strength, power behind those things, Lord. And I would ask that you would help everyone here to um, invite you into every corner, every area of our lives, and that you would, we would invite you in as the power and the strength behind everything that we do, Lord, so that uh, our lives would be a witness, our lives would be a blessing, there would be a testimony to you and your power and they would uh, not be in vain. They would not be deceptive, meaningless, worthless, hopeless, helpless, Lord. So we ask that you would come in and bring those things to light for us today, Lord. 
Help us to move in that direction where we could become right in the center, right in the center of your presence uh, in every way, physically and spiritually, Lord. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.